The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today we radiate grace with Maggie Whitehouse, who I am thrilled to say is a vicar and a stand-up comic. To me, that's a winning combination, and uh, I've been so giddily excited about this. So Maggie is an independent, sacramental minister, a teacher of the Kabbalah and the Toledano tradition, author of 18 books on spirituality, including the one we'll talk about today. Uh, on the Kabbalah, Prosperity, Consciousness, and Bible Metaphysics, all top-notch uh, topics in my book, um, fact, fact and fiction, and a professional stand-up comedian. She blends mysticism, humor, and inspiration in all her talks and workshops. Maggie, I am so thrilled to have you today. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Christy. It's lovely to be here, and it's lovely to be able to talk to you on compatible times, because you're in the States, I'm in the UK, and sometimes when you talk to folk in the States, you have to do it at 1 a.m. our time, so this is beautifully civilized. This is British afternoon tea time. Thank you so much. You have your tea ready to go? I'm having it delivered in about 30 seconds' time. Oh, fabulous. That's beautiful. Okay, yes. Um, I kind of like to make the joke when interviewing people or talk, speaking with people in a different time zone that you're coming to me from the future. So, um, okay. So, <laughs> so, so you've written the book Kabbalah and Healing, a mystical guide to transforming the four pivotal relationships for health and happiness. I found this fascinating. I've always been interested in the Kabbalah. Um, I know maybe maybe this much about it, which is maybe two inches worth of information. And um, you've taken a much deeper dive. So your book, you break out into many different um, aspects. I'm just pulling up your table of content. Well, tell me first of all, why did you why did you choose to write this book? I 
chose to write it because I've done a lot of academic work about Kabbalah. Well, you could call it academic, as in information. This is what the system is. This is what it does. And this is how you use it. But Kabbalah and healing came about through experience really i had i was diagnosed with what the medical profession said was um an incurable cancer about five years ago and i got through it i'm not supposed to be here i am here i'm i did take chemotherapy to buy myself more time but i'm not healed by the chemotherapy i think and i hope that a lot of the stuff that's in the book is what was used to heal me what i used to heal me but it's also blended with this Jewish mysticism aspect of Kabbalah because I am called it the four relationships, four pivotal relationships, because through my life, I've worked out that if you don't get the first pivotal relationship, which is communion with whatever you perceive the divine to be, to be peaceful, you are not open to grace. You've actually slapped blockers on it. And you're actually reprogramming the universe, not as a co-creator. If you're not open to grace and receiving and allowing, you're going to block off parts of you, which can lead to dis-ease and in mind, body, and spirit. Wow. So to you, of course, we today we radiate grace. To you, what is your defini- definition of grace that you work with? Grace is radical love. Grace does not require you to deserve it. It has no expectations of you whatsoever. And this is what I've come to believe God to be, or the divine, whatever you want to call it. I'm now happy with the word God, but I know a lot of people aren't. So we can call it source or the light or whatever. But this great beingness has no interest in what we do under the bedclothes, what our gender is, or anything like that. It just constantly wishes to flow. And we are either open to the flow or closed to the flow. And the trouble is, if we've been closed to the flow in just one aspect of our life, being half an inch out can be much, much more serious than being miles out, because quite often, if you're miles out from where you want to be, it's quite obvious to everybody and they help you get back towards it. Whereas if you're half an inch out, like you've got a relationship you haven't healed, or there's a wound that hasn't been healed in your psyche, you may not even know what it is. That half inch is going to be a kind of yeah, but it can't happen to me. No, it's not there. Life isn't worth living. No, I don't think so. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. And it, it actually kind of closes the door to this radical break, grace and says, I don't want you. Yes. Wow. Wow. So what can get us so far from, what can get us blocked from that grace? Um, hurt. Any kind of hurt, especially what Caroline Mace calls woundology, which is when we become identified with our wounds. And a silly little example of this, we've got a friend who's taken to hospital urgently last week. He's, everything turned out to be okay, but it was touch and go for a while. Yeah. And he's now on lots of medicines. And the first time we went down to pick him up from the hospital and take him home, he's in our bubble, as it were. And he had to explain to me all his medicines. This is for this, and this is for this, and this is for this, and this is for this. And that was fine, but then he did it again the next day. Oh, I have to take my medicines. My medicines are this. My medicines for my heart. My medicines for this. And we actually had to discuss it. He's a very spiritual man, and I just sort of said, darling, you're in danger 
of moving into woundology over this. What we want to do is focus on your healing, not on your need for the medicines. Right now, the medicines are essential, but let's look at your healing. You're better today. You're walking together. You're walking more accurately. You're not falling over. You're stronger. You're wiser. You're happier. Um, yes, you've got to take the medicines, but you don't need to talk about them. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> Absolutely. It's when we focus on what is what we're doing for the treatment rather than focus on our healing, then yes. it's taken us away from our healing. The focus needs to be there. Have you ever heard of the documentary Heal? H E A L. Yes, it's beautiful. And that's, you know, um, we find that there are so many things that we can do for radical healing. Only two of them involve something physical. And now I'm getting way off topic. Let's bring it. Get off topic. I don't mind. <laughs> so in your, in your book, um, you talk about the four relationships, and they seem pretty key, and you did mention them. Can you go mm. over what, what sure. these are key relationships are? The first are? one is the connection, because I'll tell a quick story if I may, but I promise I'll come back to the others. I'll write that down because I'm quite good at going off in different directions and then losing my thread. Um, in my case, the first relationship was severed when my first husband died. In, and that was my, I was what I'd call an armchair Christian, which meant I turned up at Christmas and didn't really think about it much, but wrote that down on all the forms. Right. And a bit like St. Augustine, who had this wonderful phrase, which was, God grant me chastity, constancy, and patience, but not yet, <laughs> which I loved. And so my first relationship <laughs> with the divine was, just sort of part-time, didn't worry about it, didn't think about it. And then my first husband died and the hospital chaplain told me that he was going to hell because he wasn't a Christian. And that was my wake-up call. That was actually a blessing in disguise, as so many of these things are, because I thought, hang on, I signed on the right dotted line, so I go to heaven. But this man, who was actually a better soul than I, doesn't. So that was my start of going into looking at... Um, all sorts of alternatives. And up until then, I've been perfectly comfortable with my non-relationship with the divine. You can be a perfectly healed, comfortable, atheist, agnostic, whatever. But once you've got a problem with it, yes. the problem with religion or the problem, you either have to throw the whole thing out. And I've got an Aquarian Mars, so my husband's in astrology, so I'm just plain awkward in that kind of way. Or you can go right down into it. And I wanted to go right down into Christianity and go, what is this actually all about? And who is saying this good man doesn't go to heaven? And what is heaven anyway? And who was that guy, Jesus? And how fast can I throw him out of the window? And that kind of thing. And I realized that I had to heal this wound that I had that was holding energy between me and what the divine was and I could tell that there was a wound because as soon as I went into new age philosophies and went into running a holistic magazine having been perfectly reasonably well off I was broke and I got all sorts of prosperity aspects and I found so many people in the new age and spirituality who also had big problems around money so I started researching and nearly all of them had rejected their religion of their birth and hated it interesting and because the hatred was there right. there was a programming because our egos our reticular activating sense system or amygdala or reptilian brain whatever you want to call it goes on what the program beliefs are 
And if the program beliefs as a child was about that you worship God through a certain religion, if you hate that religion, somehow your psyche puts a kind of block on grace, maybe just a little one, but the first place it shows up, and all poverty in the Western world is first experienced in the soul. Mm, Yes, I I firmly agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, famines, world, terrible things that are happening in other parts of the world are due to our lack of soul and war certainly so it's it's all caused by the lack of understanding that there is always enough and I am blessed from above so my journey through prosperity consciousness and Kabbalah was about reuniting me with the divine and that's all the word mystic means it's somebody who talks directly to the divine and listens to the divine Mm-hmm. So that's the first relationship. The second one is with yourself. And that's usually where we all start with I love and approve of myself, Louise Hay, and that sort of thing, which is very, very good. But I don't know if you've ever noticed, you fall off after a while. You do it for a little while, things get a little bit better, and then you give up. So you, because your ego says, hang on, things are changing. We don't want things to change because we're not dead. We want things to stay the same. And our family don't like us now, so I don't think I'm going to do that. And so if you don't have the first relationship in place, which is always going to call you, grace will call you to your true self. It will call you to your soul. It's much, much harder with the self-esteem. So the self-esteem, the relationship with yourself is the second relationship. And then that merges to the third one, which is your relationship with others. And of course, your relationship with others is always going to be flawed if you haven't got the relationship with yourself and you aren't confident that you are truly loved. And the final relationship is with the world. And that that can count as the earth. And that's very, very important. It's also the system the way things operate and the system includes money the system is all about how the financial flow and that's all mental and emotional only two percent of the world's money is actually printed the rest of it is an agreement between computers it's not even gold in Fort Knox anymore so basically if you start with that pivotal first relationship it's much much easier to work through the others because you've automatically got the effect in effect you've got angelic help Oh, always. In fact, I'm noticing the behind you, you've got, I believe it's Archangel Gabriel. It is Gabriel, yes, on the west of my wall. This office is also my chapel. So I have Raphael on the east wall, Gabriel on the west wall, Uriel on the north wall, and um, Michael on the south wall. Oh, that's a fantastic team. But yes, we do have this uh, angelic support that we can tap into at any time. And of course, that's that's part of the Kabbalah. Um, many of the uh, angels, I think only two angels were mentioned in the Bible. Is that? Actually mentioned, yes, I think yeah, so. Now you put me on the spot. I know Gabriel's mentioned. Right. And I believe Michael might be as well. Um, but then the rest are, the rest are Kabbalic. Well, the- yes, in the first temple, the... Um, the first temple of Judaism, which was matriarchal, not patriarchal. It was destroyed about 500 years before Jesus was born. But it was actually unified. It was masculine and feminine. So we call it matriarchal, but it was just a more nurturing version of the temple. And there were four angels, because the Kabbalah talks about four levels of being, fire, air, water, and earth, the four primal elements, if you like, from which everything else comes. And the four angels of the temple, which had four courts, and this is why there are four gospels, Christy, 
because that's why it was written. That's why four were chosen. It wasn't that the others were wrong or anything. There were four because they represent earth, water, air, and fire. And once you realize that, it just opens up the New Testament completely for me. Anyway, the point of this was the four courts of the temple, each one of them had an archangel. They were called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty One of God, the Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. And if you know Handel's Messiah, those are sung of, and they are actually Raphael, Michael, Gabriel, and Uriel. Oh, my goodness. You've really put the research into this, Maggie. I appreciate that so much. Um, I can just tell how, how dedicated you are to this, this study. And so and I understood, you know, you took a deep dive into Christianity to understand, you know, and get some, get some perspective. Um, but why the Kabbalah? Why oh, well, I was having real problems around the Christianity thing because I really wanted to get into the mystical aspect. And at that point, I couldn't find anybody to help me. And the Christ, even the Christian mystics were saying Jesus Christ is the savior. They were using Christ as Jesus's surname, which is what most Christians do. And Christ is not Jesus's surname. It's an honorary title. The Christ, as Jesus himself said, before Abraham was that I am. And he's talking at that point of the Christ, which is the whole process of creation is Christ. Um, basically, I wasn't getting anywhere. I went to university to study New Testament Greek because I thought if I could read the New Testament in the original language, that would really help. And then I found out there's 32,000 versions of the New Testament in Greek. Wow. Fortunately, only about 60 or 70 of them have particularly different variations, but there are different versions and there are different translations and there are old ancient texts. The first Euphrates text that we have, the oldest text we've ever had, uh, talked quite clearly of the wives and the women who followed Jesus with the disciples. Yes. For example. So basically it gets it gets formulated and you get one Greek text to work for. The Hebrew people have it even worse because they've got literally got the one. They can't find any more fragments. They were all destroyed. Mm. Um, so I was already on a hiding to nothing there because I wasn't going to find the truth in it. So I actually asked for help. I said, help me. I, I need to know. I need I this is this is my journey. This is my calling. This is my healing from bereavement. This is my this is my work. And I was introduced to a Jewish guy who was at the farthest end of his rope from Judaism as I was from Christianity. And he was in the New Age too. We sort of reeled each other in back together to the center, at which point we broke up because the relationship wasn't required anymore. And that was a, a difficult thing too, because I was the first girl in my family to get divorced. Oh God. But anyway. Different story. But he came to see my teacher of healing because um, I trained with the Healing Trust in the United Kingdom and as a Reiki master like you. Mm -hmm. And my teacher of healing couldn't handle him, which was quite understandable. And she sent him down to London. We lived in Birmingham, which was a three-hour drive from London, uh, to see a teacher called Zev Ben Shimon Halevi who taught Kabbalah because she thought that my husband needed Jewish mysticism rather than hers. And he was fascinated by it and started going regularly. And so I just started going with him. So for eight years, three terms a year, we drove three hours to London every Thursday night for one hour and then drove back because it was worth it that much to us. And sometimes I have to admit, Christy, I'm a bit of a snotty cow when somebody says to me, I can't come to your workshop because it's an hour away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Right. So um, you got quite a bit out of it. And, um, you know, these teachings go into so many different aspects of life, of divinity, of the universe. I mean, it's basically life, the universe and everything. It is. Yeah, that's a perfect way of summing it up. Yes. It's the it's the understanding of the relationships between the divine, the universe, and humanity and the patterns of the universe. Because Kabbalah, all good Kabbalah is based on diagrams, two diagrams. There's the tree of life, which is based on the menorah that was in the Holy of Holies of the temple, and Jacob's ladder, which is four versions of the tree of life that interpose between each other, which is earth, water, air, and fire. So they tell you about how what, what level you can look at things and human beings are the only creature that we know of of course there are other beings in the universe we don't know of so we can only speak of what we do know of. but we're the only beings that we know of that are in touch with all four worlds because we are conscious of being conscious angels are only in touch with the top three worlds and animals are only in touch with the bottom three worlds but humanity is in touch with all four. Oh my goodness now i noticed you've got these diagrams and now if, if you're listening on, you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play. You're not going to get the full benefit. But on YouTube, I can see you've got some diagrams behind you. And these look like the diagrams in your book on the Kabbalah. Absolutely. The, what, the, small, the larger one, but it's the one tree. That's the tree of life. And the longer, thinner one, that's Jacob's Ladder. And in the tradition that I've been trained in, you are taught to paint them yourself. So I'm not an artist. I'm absolutely rubbish at art. I wish I were a better artist. But it's it, the actual drawing of them is, is fascinating because they are all, Jacob's Ladder is almost identical to the DNA diagram and nobody who designed it back in the 11th century could possibly have known what DNA looked like. But the strands of DNA are exactly the same. So what it's doing is it, Jacob's Ladder is a, a diagram of the building blocks of the universe, everything fits on this, everything, every spiritual tradition, every, um, things like tarot, astrology, human design. Um, I learned so much more about Reiki once I was studying Kabbalah because you just go, okay, that goes there. Ah, and because that goes there, the fact that I have a tendency to lean that way means I disconnect from it. So I need to lean back that way. And Ultimately, the, the third world, which is known as Yetzirah, the world of forms, is where our minds live, which is where we live all the time. We live in our heads and in our emotions. And we put the forms on things through our beliefs. So the book's mostly about this world called Yetzirah and all the forms that we have projected out, the forms that we've learnt when we were babies and learnt later on and re processed and that's why I always say to people if they're going to work with me please please spend a week with the Louise Hay affirmation I love and approve of myself because yes we're going to go straight into working with the divine but unless you've got a neural pathway in your brain that it's a good idea to start the work mm. you're just not going to believe that right absolutely um so at what point did you take all of your searching and research into deciding, I think I'm going to be a vicar. <laughs> well, I kind of did and I didn't. I was very interested in Unity Church, which thrives in America. Doesn't oh, thrive Unity, but- and I come oh, from. I, it started in Kansas City, where I'm living. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and I've been there. 
I've yes. been there, I've done some training there. And I loved Unity. I lived in Montana for a while, and Unity Church there under Philip Bozeman was just inspirational. And that was part of my healing because I thought, God, if Christianity can be like this, then yeah. okay, there I can get this. And uh, I wanted to train as a minister with Unity, but they wouldn't have me back then because yeah. I didn't have a degree. You had to have a college degree, and I didn't have one. And also, you'd have to go and live in America and get a degree. And then it's very much more open now. You can do a lot of it online, and it isn't that way at all. But that was the rejection. So I thought, well, I'm not going into the Christian church because in those days, the Church of England required you at ordination to deny other faiths. This was a long time ago. Oh, wow. I don't think it does anymore. And I wasn't going to do that. Uh, so I sort of put it on on the side and I just did funerals for people this was before there were celebrants nowadays it's it's big business being a wedding or a a christening or a funeral celebrant Uh, but I was just doing funerals I got myself trained by a man I found in London by going to a funeral and I started doing funerals for people of whatever level of faith they were because I thought having not been able to give Henry the funeral that would have been appropriate for him for family pressure Mm. I was going to supply funerals for other people that would be able to meld families so that they could have the spiritual aspect. I mean, Christian ones can be done by vicars, humanist ones can be done by humanists, um, Buddhist ones can be done by Buddhists, but spiritual people without a particular affiliation needed somebody. So I started doing those. And uh, I met and married my the current husband, I love saying that, my wonderful, wonderful lion. And his best friend, uh, a few years after we were married, was murdered in London. He saved the life of an old lady, but he died for it. And uh, his son asked me if I would take John's funeral, which was huge. It was a Golders Green crematorium, which is one of the big Jewish cemeteries in London. It, t- it does non-Jewish people as well, but it's the most beautiful old place. Um, grade one listed buildings and that kind of thing. So I took John's service to the exact level of John's faith. And John's faith included reincarnation. Wonderful. And so we... we talked about that where I merged the Jewish Kaddish we had people speaking and if I say so myself it was a darn fine funeral for a darn fine man and a week later I got a phone call from a bishop in the apostolic liberal catholic church which is part of the old catholic church they broke away from the conventional catholic church at the end of the 19th century when the pope decided that if he spoke ex cathedra he was infallible and they went, no, one step too far, and broke away. And they support uh, gay folk for ordinance and generally, and also women for ordinance. And my bishop was a part of that church. He had his own particular aspect of it because he's an alchemist and a Kabbalist. I had met him a couple of times, and he just phoned and he said, Maggie, I hope you are open to hearing this, but I sat and watched you during John's funeral, and God said to me, you need her and she needs you. Approach her. For ordination and I went you must be out of your brain because it was just way too Christian for me and he was such a smart guy he's a lovely guy he's a very good friend now though he's always bossing me around which is his job because he's my bishop but he said invite me up for the weekend cook me a nice roast dinner and if you don't want to do it at the end of the weekend we'll say no more about it which was his sneaky way of getting himself a nice roast dinner because back then he was a single man and his mother was dead and <laughs> 
and by the end of the weekend, he, he taught me so much that was on the fringes. I'm, I call myself a hedge priest. A hedge priest was a derogatory name for a priest who was what's known as non-stipendiary. You don't get a regular wage, you don't have a rectory, and you travel to wherever you are required to do what services are required for you. So I call myself a hedge priest, and I'm a, a heretic. A heretic simply means a strong thinker. But it was just, he just opened me up to these things. For example, can I tell you the story of the legend of the collar, the dog collar? Please. What? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay. No, there's no proof of this. It's just part of an oral tradition. And Kabbalah is an oral tradition. That's what's so important about these diagrams. They stop an oral tradition. Excuse me, I've got hiccups. How wonderful. An oral tradition from becoming Chinese whispers. If you, you learn the language, you know if it fits. If it doesn't fit, you adjust a little so that it fits, which is, again, like adjusting yourself so that the grace can flow through. But David taught me that the dog collar was originally the collar of Anubis, the jackal-headed Egyptian god. Yes. Yes. And the job of Anubis was to weigh the hearts of the dead. And if the hearts of the dead were light, they could be weighed against a feather. They went to the good part of the underworld. And if they were heavy, they were devoured by the great devouring beast. So the goal was to have a light heart. And David says, so that is why we wear a dog collar to remind us that our job is to lift hearts. And that is the only job there is in my church. Oh, my God. Okay, something that just realized, and I think I'm just slow on the uptake, Maggie, but you're talking about the, the vicar collar. Yes. Oh. Yes, I am. Oh, the vicar collar. You don't call it the dog collar in America. Oh, boy. <laughs> Rewind, tell story again. <laughs> they might, but it just, I, I love dogs so much. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, oh, I want to know about dogs. But no, yes. Okay. Do- yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lots of people say to me that dog is God spelt backwards, which is lovely. But of course, it is only in English. In Polish, it's Eidnob, God spelt backwards. And Haitian Creole, it's uh, Gobnap. <laughs> and Jesus, if you speak it backwards quickly, is sausage. <laughs> yes, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I can see why you're a stand up comic. So we got the story of how you got to be a vicar, but how did you decide that you were going to take your show on the road and be a comic? I kind of didn't. It was, it, it's one of those things I'm sure you know, and everybody listening knows perfectly well that if there's a hint coming through, it will come through quite gently the first time, then quite a little more so forcefully the next time, and the third time it'll be quite insistent, and the fourth time it'll have a brick attached. Yes. So, People were always saying to me, I do a lot of workshops on Kabbalah and on mysticism, and I used to do them on prosperity. And they would say, you're very funny, you should do stand-up. And stand-up was just getting big about that time. This is about five, six years ago. And I was going, no, 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 no. And stand-up's a completely different ball game. No, 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 I wouldn't be suitable for that. But then three people in a fortnight said it. I did three workshops, and three people said, you, you're really funny, you should do stand-up. So I thought, oh, rats. 
So I went on the internet just to see if there was a comedy course near me because I didn't know where to start. So I typed in comedy course because presumably you could learn how to do this thing. And it turned out there was one half a mile from my house starting the following week for 50 pounds. So I kind of was out of options. <laughs> I enrolled on the course and I went on it and I went on it with the express intention of failing it. So I could say to people, no, I couldn't just stand up. I went on a course and I was no good. Unfortunately, I graduated top of the class and was supporting a mainline professional act within six weeks. I'm not that brilliant. That was beginner's luck. I have a lot of beginner's luck. But I found that I did love it, and it keeps my brain active. And, and it's actually really important for me to do the comedy wearing a dog collar. I didn't to start with, but my bishop told me that I must because it's one of the few places where the dog collar is very relevant because people are going to take what you say about religion with some authority. They might totally disagree with you, but the dog collar gives you the authority to get into hospitals and places like that. So if you use it on stand-up. And I, I extract the Archangel Michael out of the Bible, but I do it accurately. And I make people think. And I will always say when I do sermons in church, because I work for the Methodists, well, I don't at the moment, because at the time of recording, we're still in partial lockdown but I preach for the Methodists in Devon. And I always say to people, I'm never here to tell you what to think, but I am here to make you think yeah. because I want you to rethink because the words that Jesus uses in the New Testament that is always translated as repent, John the Baptist and Jesus are supposed to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word is metanoia and it actually means think anew. Think anew. Think again. Change your mind. Love it. Accept yeah. something new. And doesn't that just open it all up? It's not about, oh, God, I'm a wicked, evil person. I've got to repent. It's I've got to change my thought process. Did you know that Radiate Wellness has a subscription-based premium content Facebook group? Think of it like the premium version of this free podcast. In this premium Facebook group, you can find great content like replays of online classes, meditations on angels, chakras, mindfulness, and more, guest speakers, mini classes, polls, plus you'll be the first to know of guests that we have scheduled for the podcast and can submit questions for them. You get all of this great content for one low monthly price and the first month is half off. You can subscribe by going to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash shop. Click the subscriptions button and you're in. Also, while I have your attention, wherever you're listening to this free podcast, if you could just do us a couple of favors, please. One is go to hit the subscribe or follow button. Then you'll be notified of all of the episodes we have coming out each week. Also, please rate and review. It sounds really simple, but it helps us to grow our audience when people are looking for great podcasts. And when we grow our audience, we can do bigger and better things and bring you even more great guests. So please do those couple of things, and that will help us grow this audience and this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it interesting how we've bastardized that? Because of yeah. the hint is from the root word pensive, which is think, and then repent, rethink. Rethink. Yeah. Love that. It's like the word remember. 
we use remember to go back over old times again. It's about putting things together again, to put them together perfectly, rather than just going over same old, same old. Remember is to put it back together perfectly, is to, to reframe it, if you like, to, to change things for the better. All this stuff is, is amazing. There's so much in the Bible that's affected by something called the mandala effect. And the mandala effect is when you think, oh, you know, you're nodding, that's brilliant. When you think you know something because it's been passed down like this for ages and ages and it goes into the culture as a truth. And a classic one from the Bible, it's not a particularly relevant one, is the lion shall die down with the lamb. It's not there. It's the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. But for some reason, somebody said lion and it stuck. So everybody thinks the Bible says that. And that's one of my jobs with um, preaching or teaching or comedy is to say it doesn't say that. It says this. And, you know, I've got a whole line of jokes on the fact that the universe was created by the feminine, which it was. The, the first two words of the Bible are Bereshit Elohim. In the beginning, the goddesses created the heavens and the earth. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it becomes Yahweh Elohim, which is masculine and feminine, on the creation of humanity in Eden. Only after humanity leave Eden, which was not a physical place in Kabbalah, it was a psychological place. It was the place souls go to before they're born to be prepared. And the whole, if, if you've got time for me to tell you the Kabbalistic story of creation, you'll love it. But anyway, Yahweh, who's the one that everybody assumes is the name of God, only turns up on his own when Adam and Eve are born on the planet Earth, when they come down to Earth. And Yahweh is the law of God. It's karmic law. The Elohim is the mercy of God and the creative aspect of God. But Yahweh is the law. And you must have the law, but you must balance it. For example, Yahweh, the wonderful thing about Yahweh is it is the breath. You can say, the first word you say when you're bored is, <sighs> and the last word you say when you die is, <sighs> so, and it is law that if you breathe in, you must breathe out. It is law that if you are born, you must die. So that is the law that Yahweh is. It is cosmic law. This is how the pattern works. So we, so this, but somehow we've ended up worshipping the law instead of honouring the law and interpreting the law through love. And Jesus came back, came, came, came back, came whatever, to remind us that you're meant to interpret law through love. You've got to have these two aspects work together because otherwise you've got fundamentalism and hatred and division. And guess where we are? That's exactly where we are, especially here in the United States. Um, We're not so far behind. <laughs> that's true. You're not very far behind, right? And, um, and we're not trying to catch up. At least we're not. I don't think we are. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, not consciously. Not consciously. Not consciously yeah. um, where do you feel this division came? And I know we're getting off topic, and but I'm the host. I can do that. Yeah. So, um, where do you where do you think we got to that point where the division crept in? Right with well, we actually got to it with Saint Augustine and Saint Anselm in the 12th century, because Jewish faith has no concept of original sin. Okay, Jesus would have had no concept of original sin. Right. Think about that for a minute. 
Right. And yet Christianity teaches that Jesus came because of original sin. So I'm going to neatly wheel this around to the story of creation, which we're taught is of Adam and Eve disobeying the divine and being punished for it by being sent out of Eden. Whereas the Kabbalistic mystical interpretation, this is particularly down the feminine line because it honors the divine feminine. And I'm one of the teachers in the feminine line in Kabbalah, which has existed for a long time, but very, very underground because Kabbalah is thought to be very, very masculine. But the story of the, the creation is simply that the divine in its happiness wished to give birth to a baby and all of creation is the baby. We are all one cell in that baby in the uterus of the divine. And every human eventually will perfect, and every creature, most creatures are already perfected, but everything will perfect, and then the baby will be ready to be born. And then that start, at that point, the universe stops expanding, and nobody knows what's going to happen. But trust me, we're nowhere near there yet. However, so the idea was that the Elohim created the heavens and the earth and the spark that was supposed to drive this baby was humanity. And she created, male and female, she created them both in the spiritual world, which is known as Berea, which was an androgynous being, one androgynous human. And then she said, it's not good for the human to be alone and divided the human into two, masculine and feminine. That took them down to a lower world. Are you following me? Is this making sense? Yes, absolutely. It's beautiful. But then these two humans and all the creatures were living in this paradise aspect. They weren't ready to come down onto the physical earth yet because physical life is where you embrace Yahweh. There's choice all the time. There's choice and consequence, choice and consequence. So the Elohim knew that humanity would not be ready to come to the earth until it understood the process of choice and consequence. And she discovered this in the legend by looking over the waters of the earth. And she was saying to herself, why is the baby not quickening? Why are the humans not making choices? I don't understand. Why are they just sitting there being beautifically happy? Because there's no spark here. There's no contrast. There's no, it's not working. What am I going to do? And she looked down in the waters and she saw an oyster with a pearl in it. And I think we know that pearls aren't made this way nowadays, but it's a legend. And the thing about a legend, a myth, is it's an, a perennial truth. The story is true. I don't know if it happened. I don't know if it didn't happen, but I know that the story is true. So the Elohim went down to the oyster and said, oh, oyster, my oyster, what is this beautiful thing? And the oyster said, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry. Oh, golly. Uh, well, there was a bit of your wonderful grit. It got in my oyster and it hurts. So I've created this to stop it hurting. And I wondered, I hope you don't mind. Is that okay? And the Elohim said, mind? It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And you made it, oyster. If you made that pearl, what could my humans do? With so she went pain. back. Yes, she went back to them and said, Adam, Eve, come here. Well, now those names then said, humans, come here. See that tree? That lovely tree with all the fruit on it. I know you don't need to eat anything up here because we're not on the physical earth, but it's nice to eat stuff. It's lovely, isn't it? And they went, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, can't eat from that tree. Absolutely not. Not that one. No, never. And that's my word. You mustn't do it. Walking away. Now, this is God we're talking about. God is actually even more powerful than your mother. And you know perfectly well, if you are a mother 
or even if you're a father, that if you say to a two-year-old child, I'm going to leave you in this room for five minutes, you can do anything you like, don't open the box. The box is sacred, the box is secret, you can't have the box, the box is mine, you may not open the box, you can do anything else, do not open the box. You wouldn't have time to get down the corridor before that child would be opening that box. Now, do you think God did not know that? <laughs> so it was all part of a plot. That's the Kabbalistic teaching. And I just love that because what the fall was, was not that, because the Elohim knew they would disobey. And the point was that they would disobey because then they would learn choice and consequence. They were, said, they were told not to, they chose to, therefore they would take the consequences. And the consequences meant they were ready for life on earth, which would hurt. However, the reason it would hurt was because of the next stage of the story, which is the fall, which is when Yahweh Elohim, the masculine and feminine now, goes to Adam and says, why are you hiding from me? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to? And Adam said, yes, the woman gave me the fruit. Blame. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And then Yahweh Elohim said to Eve, did you eat the fruit? And she said, yes, the serpent tempted me. That is the fall of humanity. That is the cause of all our division. It's the lack of self-responsibility and the need to blame. That's the root of all of it. Oh, my goodness. Well, we haven't learned very much since... No, we haven't. We're still eating from the tree of knowledge every day of our lives. And not owning up. Hmm. Because the thing of the tree of knowledge is it also gives you the right to judge what you think is good and what you think is evil. So judgment, yes. Yeah. Judgment will always be followed by blame. Interesting. Okay. And okay. Kabbalah teaches us to not use judgment, if we can, but to use discernment, which is to go, because discernment is of the soul. Discernment and mercy are at the level of the human soul. So in all things, we have to go, is this, if you've heard of Byron Katie, I'm sure you all know, yeah, she sure. does the work. It's pure Kabbalah. She's not a Kabbalist, but the thing is, it's patterns of the universe, so it works whether you're in this tradition or not. It's, is it true? Is it really true? Can you be absolutely certain that it's true? And how does believing it's true affect you? And if it affects you badly, what is the purpose of believing that it's true? Because so much is not actually true, apart from perennial truth. It's a partial truth, and it's a projection. Well, that brings me to what my next question was going to be. It's like, okay, well, how do we break that cycle? But discernment discernment which is uh, in Kabbalah there are the soul is made up of three of the circles on the tree of life the center one is called Tiferet and there's Gevura and Hesed Gevura is discernment or judgment or strength or crisis all of these sephirot can be good or bad according to how balanced we are Hesed is loving kindness and mercy and those two are vital to be worked together and Tiferet who holds them together is called is truth and beauty. The word means both. So if the truth is not beautiful, it is not a perennial truth, it is a partial truth. Oh my goodness. So that's how you start off with this, which you say, this is terrible, this is awful, this is awful. Okay, then it isn't a perennial truth. 
So something's out of kilter. Now I have to use my discernment and my loving kindness towards myself and to others to discern what part of this is a beautiful truth. Can I give you an example and a story? Please. It's a sad story and it's quite recent, so I'll probably cry because I have lots of water in my chart. Right, we had a lovely old beagle, beautiful girl called Callista. Here we go. And she was 13 and she had a tumour. And it was a tumour on her spleen. And the vet said to us, the difficulty with this is if it's benign, I can take it out, it's not a problem. If it's cancerous and I go in, I will have killed her. I will have to euthanise her on the table. Oh. So you have to make a choice. So we said, don't operate. Let's keep our girl for as long as we can and hope it's benign. Anyway, we love this beautiful beagle. I took her for a walk on the moors a few weeks ago. And while we were out on the moors, and we live on Dartmoor, which is moorland in Devonlands, wild ponies here. And the wild ponies are never a problem. Apart from anything else, you talk to the wild ponies. They know about humans. And Kelly was on my left side, and wild ponies were on my right. And while I was walking, one of the wild ponies cantered round behind me and attacked my dog and kicked her to death. Oh, no. Oh, oh, making your choice for you. Well, she didn't die immediately. The pony kicking her caused her internal injuries. So she just stopped and lay down, and I had to carry her down from the moor which gave me preparation for the fact that this dog is dying. So I had the preparation and I managed to carry her down from the mall. We got her in the car, took her to the vet and the vet said, there is nothing I can do, but I can make her comfortable, take her home. So we brought her home and she died on the sofa. But I had always said to Callie from the very beginning, when you're trying to go, please die peacefully in your sleep at home with me. So... What seemed to be a terrible tragedy, and all the way down the hill, I was going, God, how could this happen? How could this happen? How could this happen? What happened was that pony split the tumour, caused internal bleeding, which meant that Callie died peacefully at home. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, but can you see? You've got to work it through. Yes. I've got the ability to work it through. And also another thing which... Yeah, I'm going to tell you because I think it's beautiful. One of the things that's always troubled me is what happens to our beloved pets when we die. There's a wonderful book called Destiny of Souls by Michael Newton, which answered some of that for me, that there are animal wranglers, humans, that take care of the souls. And after Callie's death, I thought I could go into meditation and go and see her on the point of death to see if she you know, there was anything to talk about or did not talk about, you know, but I just wanted to go. So I went so that she would have me there at the point of death if she wanted me. And I was there, I saw her wake up, look through me and run in joy to a man. And she was so happy to see him. And he was so happy to see her. He was obviously somebody her beadline soul knew well and loved. And that just gave me so much joy. And I just have to tell everybody. That's so beautiful, Maggie. You know, we can take a, a tragic event like that and we can either just... Tell we can make it our wound or we can make it our healing. Yes, absolutely. 
That's it. We have a choice at all points. With serious illness, with disability, with prejudice, we can make it our wound or we can make it our healing. And it, it's so hard to say that to many people because we aren't ready for the healing. Humanity yet isn't ready for the healing. But those of us who can momentarily, for five minutes a day, be awake, that's enough to keep things simmering towards the healing. Absolutely. Oh, good, you're crying too. <laughs> of course. Oh, my goodness. I used to work at Hallmark, Maggie. <laughs> Hallmark. <laughs> I was a mess every day. Yes. Through the halls. So, um, yes, we can take our faith and, and get immense healing and immense comfort out of it and immense understanding of the greater... Um, Ken, Catherine Ponder from Unity, she's a great prosperity teacher from Unity, and she had an affirmation which I have used many a time with very gritted teeth, which is, I can hardly wait to see the good that comes from this. Yes. Yeah. And she says, you must say it whenever anything goes wrong. There's and it just, it, it's very difficult to do it, but it's say, where does this flip? Where is the blessing in this? Where is the grace in this? And if your answer immediately is there can be no grace in this, then it is you who is blocking it. Yes. There's always a blessing. There's always a blessing. When I got laid off from Hallmark, along with 1,500 other colleagues, I said, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. Well done, you. Yeah. Well, and then everything just bloomed and blossomed. And I created the company. I went to healing full time as a profession and created this podcast. I could, none of that could have been accomplished. Exactly. Without what probably three quarters of the others who were laid off mm-hmm. thought was a disaster. Absolutely. And for them, of course, it was a disaster. They were not wrong. They just weren't trained or their brains were simply not wired to turn it round. And we don't wire children's brains to turn things around. We don't wire our brains in any way that is healthy mostly nowadays because we, in Hebrew, there's no word for thing. Really? I love that. The word for thing is word because the word creates. Um, But we in the Western world have have created things. And I like, if it's not a human, it could maybe be an animal, but it's mostly a thing. And I'm reading this wonderful book called Braiding Sweetgrass. I can't remember the name of the author, but she was a, she's a Native American lady um, talking about the traditions and the culture. And she said, where did we stop understanding that the trees are people too? And we need to talk of the tree people and the rock people and the earth people and the sky people the star people, because if we make them things, it's much easier to cut them down. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't it? I love it. And this is probably lowering the tone. I live on a, we have a kind of a small holding vegetable garden, chickens, that kind of thing. And every now and then I have to kill a chicken because you can only have so many cockerels. Right. And nobody else wants cockerels. So it has to be my sacred duty to kill a cockerel now and then. And part of the fact that I do it and we eat them, um, it's good prosperity for us, but it's so important to understand the sacred journey of handing out a death to a creature. 
Yeah, and, and how it has to be done in a sacred way, has to be blessed and thanked, obviously dispatched of as compassionately as you possibly can. But that moment of knowing that you are going to take a life of a another people, a cockerel is chicken people. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Be calm, be hypnotized. May you go well. May you be blessed. Thank you for your gift. Gone, gone. Right. Well, this is the basic of basis of kosher meats, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Yes. That's the idea of it. Yeah. All these things get corrupted, Christy. That's the trouble. All the good intentions eventually by humans desire to control or get greedy, get corrupted. So everything was intentionally kind to bleed an animal to death as Callie bled internally without pain. So the idea of kosher food is Originally, humanitarian, well, beastarian, if you like. The intention was kind. Right. To treat the body of this animal as a sacred being. Yes. And to maintain the, the sacredness of it. I mean, that's... Which One I of the things about the pandemic was it has given us this chance to do that. People's only being able to go out into their back gardens and to watch the sky clearing. And things like that. And the people, there's two phrases in the Hebrew Bible which are very useful the house of Israel and the children of Israel. And I'm not trying to be patronizing here, but the children of Israel are the people who haven't woken up yet. And the house of Israel are the ones who are fighting and struggling with God. Oh my goodness. As Jacob said, you know, you wrestle with God. Israel means one who wrestles with God. Right. Then the children of Israel aren't ready to wake up from Netflix and Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and, and all the easy, quick fix things that we can hide in. And they're not ready. That's absolutely fine. They're younger souls. Younger souls cannot be ready yet. But those of us who've maybe had five or six more lifetimes and been knocked about a bit and had some of the grace knocked back into us are capable of seeing that this pandemic is actually in many, many ways a wake-up call. And I'm sure you've said that with many other people. Oh, absolutely. Yes, as my my guides, my spiritual team has been telling me that from the beginning. You, We co-created this. You co-created this. I have an online group on Tuesday nights, and we went to visit her, COVID-19, went to visit the entity or the angelic presence of COVID-19. It was fascinating. We did good prayers, some prayers of protection first, then we went up the tree, and then we went into a sacred space and called her to come to us. And the 17 people on this one particular call, and we all got the same message, which was that she didn't want to be here, that she was necessary, that she was karmic, and that she was feminine. She was the, she was the corrupt yin of the planet, the damaged yin of the planet. And the yin is the divine feminine. Yeah. And the yin, yin, corrupted yin is resentment, blame, anger. So we're back to the Garden of Eden again. And and also covetousness is is corrupted yin. More, 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 have to have another one, have to have another one, have to have another one. Well, of course, the Buddha said the only source of suffering is attachment, and that is attachment to things yes. that are outside of ourselves, attachments to outcomes. Yes. 
Yes. In fact, I've actually got a note on my desk here for, I think it was, I can't remember, maybe Caroline Mace or somebody like that, but I've written it down on a post-it note, which says, rather than suffering, it's more disappointment. The word that's used in Buddhism. And, and I think all of life is disappointment. Yes, it can be all of life is joy or all of life is disappointment, but life will always pass on. You can't hold on to anything. So that's the whole point of it is to let things flow, isn't it? it I mean, for us, it's so difficult. My God. Right. I mean, life will find a way, as Jeff Goldblum said in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Yes, life will find a way. Yes, we will find a way. Um, we have co-created a life force, yes. which is attacking us, mm. and it attacks us at the cabalistic level of air, which is spirit. Mm. Yes, and I don't know if this is if this is true where you are, but where we are, there are people who are deny in denial of mm. it. It's, uh, we have to have herd immunity. It's no worse than the flu. They're just not wearing masks, not wanting to protect others, and just completely in denial of this. Yes, and, and calling the rest of the sheeple. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, um, it's this. It's this whole thing about them trying to control us. They're trying to control us. Bill Gates is trying to make us infertile, which, frankly, I'm no fan or not of Bill Gates, but there are too many people in the world. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to be people switching off in droves at this point. But uh, the the point of it is that I think it's, again, it's, it's so much easier to say it's them. It's blame. It's them. They're doing it. They're doing this. But if you think about governments controlling us, we all have speed limits. We're not allowed to park on double yellow lines. I think it's the same in the States. We're not allowed to do certain things. We are already controlled by the state. And people in holistic work like us and comedians too, we live on the edge of society. So we're the ones who can actually observe this. And we, you can actually choose vast amounts of freedom. Albert Camus said the, the correct response to control is to live the freest life you can. And ultimately, if we want to be as free as possible from controlling governments, we have to live a free life, which means a simple life, a life where you do not require that much, where you can, if possible, grow some tomatoes on your windowsill. Just that little gesture is hugely important, puts you back in in touch with the simplicity of of life and the cycles of life. Absolutely. No one can trap or control your mind and your your desires. You know, that's that's impossible. So yes, we are sovereign beings. We are free to live our destiny, free to live our lives, free to, to believe and dream, but we do live in a society where there are um, you know, practicing compassion is, yes, it's codified. Absolutely. A friend of mine on good old Facebook put up a very long post, which I'll paraphrase because I can't remember it, but it was just beautiful. She said, okay, so Bill and Melinda Gates are conspiring against us. The government is conspiring against us. The vaccine is to make us uh, 
under control and to make us sterile. Uh, they want to control us that we won't get our rights back. They're going to track us. They're going to trace us. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to do the other. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. It's them, 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 them. And that is basically abjecting, abject rejection of personal responsibility. But And what she said most importantly was, if wearing a mask, if staying in lockdown, if holding social distancing should save one life, I'll do it. Absolutely. And if it doesn't, my intent was to save a life, so I'll do it. And I thought, yeah. Do it, if you do it from that, from the, do it from the goodness of wanting to be of assistance. It isn't control. You're doing it. You feel controlled if you just don't want to do it. And you have to actually have a quick look and say, why is this conspiracy more important to me than the potential for kindness? Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. We all have the choices to make. And it is intention. I mean, going back to what we... We're talking about, I mean, so many times we've, we've really danced around this topic. It's intention mm-hmm. and it's the, the energy we put into a thing and what we persist, resist, and what we resist persists yes. and what we give our attention to. So if you, are you giving your attention to conspiracies and theories and, and control, or are you giving your attention to saving lives, protecting people, everyone being safe? And have you noticed also that the conspiracy theories have exactly the same level of energy as the governments they're tending to condemn? Because when you're into a conspiracy theory, you feel superior. Yes, there's that division again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the human ego loves to feel superior. I'm the king of the mountain. Or alternatively, the human ego loves to go, oh, don't, don't ask me, I can't do it, I'm not well. You know, which is, which is the, whatever, what, both of those are, either I have to be in control or I will take no, no control whatsoever, both of which are just as out of balance as the other. Well, this is solar plexus chakra right there. Mm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, or to ferret in the tree of life, yes. <laughs> I love how this all goes together. This all weaves mm. seamlessly. All goes, yeah. And what I love about Kabbalistic astrology is if you look at the astrology of where your Mars is, where your Jupiter is, and where your sun is, the meld of those gives you the timbre of your soul in this lifetime. It tells you who you came here to be. Mm. So, for example, my Mars is in Aquarius, my Jupiter is in Leo, and my Sun is in Taurus. So, my truth and beauty is about being Taurian, and Taurians are honest and reliable and patient and passionate and lazy. If you can get a Taurian to start something, it will finish it, but it's darned hard to get it to start. My Mars in Aquarius means that I'm quirky, I'm never going to make the same decisions as other people, so I'm probably not going to decide to join a conventional church. I'm not going to be conventional in the mysticism I study. I'm studying one which is the legends say should only be men over 40. I'm definitely over 40. But and my Jupiter in Leo is about performance and shining. So my job is actually to be doing exactly what I'm doing with you right now and hopefully making it funny as well. 
But that's what my soul calls me to do. If I don't live in my soul, I'm a Scorpio. My moon is Scorpio. And Scorpio in the moon is not a good place. It's paranoid. It's frightened. It's defensive. It builds boundaries around it. And that's what I was very much like as a child. And most humans who say that they don't believe in astrology have never grown out of their moon. Wow. And most, most the, the children of Israel, the people who haven't um, started the fight to understand the divine or the universe, uh, they're usually living in their moons. So they won't represent their sun sign at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. That is, astrology is one of the things that we do at Radiate Wellness. And um, I, again, I just love how these things all meld together. It really does sound like you're living your purpose, what you set out to do in this incarnation, bringing humor to it. Because after all, we remember things with humor, and mm-hmm. humor is a wonderful pedagogic tool. <laughs> we do tend to deliver more information with, with humor than with dryness. Yes, absolutely. And it's more fun for the presenter, too. Of course, you're more engaged, aren't you? Um, I do, I think I would be remiss if we did not talk about your podcast. Oh, Wise Women, the Vicar and the Witch. Yes, Wise Women, the Vicar and the Witch. Yes, my friend Susie Crockford is the Dartmoor shaman. She, and we call her a witch because shamanistic practices are Siberian or maybe North American Indian. Uh, so in, the, in England, it is witch. But she's a, a natural practitioner. She does journeying with people, takes them into the underground and into the overground. And we... We got to know each other when I was ill with cancer because she helped me on some journeys to retrieve aspects of my soul, which become lost. And uh, I was trying to uh, think of a way of doing some kind of podcast. I did Unity Radio for a year, and that was great, but it was always me interviewing other people. And there was a part of me that was saying, well, what about my voice? I have a voice. So I'd kind of like to do a podcast, and I thought, how can I do that? It just came straight into my head. Wise women, the vicar and the witch, you know a witch. And why not actually talk about Christianity and shamanism and paganism and, and make all the comparisons? So we sit down and we discuss spells. We discuss that words are spells. Because they are. All the words we use and the mistaken words we use, all the Black Lives Matter stuff is highlighting all the words that we've used without thinking. And I've said master bedroom all my life, but master bedroom implies there's a master and a slave. Oh, oh my God, I've got a master's in linguistics. I am geeking out right now. Yeah. So fascinating. Words are spells. Yes, and it's a master's. uh, right, exactly. You have to get a master's. I mean, exactly. And all this stuff is just so subliminal that we don't realize that it affects us and it programs us. And so Susie and I just, we discuss the Bible, we discuss magic, we discuss the land, we discuss farming, we discuss grief, life, death, dogs, everything from not opposing viewpoints because always the traditions meet in the middle. Right. And and we love doing it. So we're on Podbean. So if you want to try that out, please be my guest. It would be lovely. I would love to put a plug uh, in the um, in the show please notes. Do. Put a link to that in the show notes. In fact, that reminds me, your website is 
MaggieWhitehall.com. Yes. It's Maggie with old spelling, M-A-G-G-Y, Whitehouse.com. And White House is very difficult, for, very difficult for American folk to remember. Why would you remember the word White House? You wouldn't possibly, would you? <laughs> I'd like to forget it right about now. But... <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of all White Houses in the United Kingdom, we're very sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so your your website is Maggie with the Y, whitehouse.com. Your podcast is um, The Vicar and the Wise Women, colon, The Vicar and the Witch. Love the colons, Vicar and the Witch. And um, I can't wait to list, start listening to that. And your book, of course, is Kabbalah and Healing and a Mystical Guide to Transforming the there it is. I have a JPEG. You have the book. Yep. It's just, uh, I've got my author copies. It's out on the, at the end of the month. Oh, it's at the end of July. Of course, this will be, this episode will be appearing um, sometime in August. Oh, fine. Well, it's out then. Lovely. Thank you. So we're speaking from the past at this point. A Mystical Guide to Transforming the Four Pivotal Relationships for Health and Happiness. And it is full of information about Kabbalah and healing and your journey and just all kinds of wonderful stuff that we've been talking about today with a great blurb by Father Richard Rohr, which is which is huge. Um, yeah, bless him. We, we have actually taught, he has this wonderful book called The Universal Christ, which is exactly what I was looking for in Christianity about how Christ is the overarching logos, the creative force of the whole universe. And he and I sat down with the Jacob's Ladder diagram and I've sort of said, this is what the Jewish teaching is. And, and we just sat there and nodded together, you know, and oh, he's such a lovely man. Part of my healing was to take a pilgrimage to Albuquerque. I was so ill I could barely walk. I could only take hand luggage. Uh, I had to end, ended up sleeping on the floor at JFK because one of the flights was cancelled. And, and it was just this vast pilgrimage to go and see Father Richard Braun. It was really part of the healing journey because he, he he has a daily uh, meditation with email, which is my morning inspiration every day. Marvellous man. God bless him. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, do you talk about your cancer journey in this book? Yes. I haven't gotten to that part yet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The The first chapter and the last chapter, the, the introduction and the last chapter are about my journey. So you can read those if you want to or just ignore them and read the rest of the book. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Maggie. I feel it's like um, it was educational and informative and fun. And next time I come to Unity in Kansas, maybe we might have a coffee. I would love that. Or a tea. In your honor. Tea would be better for me, frankly, yes, being British. Yes. Probably so. But next time you're at Unity headquarters, do uh, let's get together and continue the conversation. Marvellous. Thank you, Christy. I'm really honoured to be on your show. Thank you, Maggie. The honour's mine. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com.
We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.